Hello, and welcome to the Bless the City Church podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Jeremy Schwader. I've been talking a lot about money the last several weeks. What money does. There's this, um, I've made this comment every week, but there is in the, in Israel, there's the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea are fed by the exact same river. And whenever water goes into the Sea of Galilee, it flows out and it's known for life. The whole place is known for life. The Dead Sea is known for being dead. There's, it's just a bunch of salt. You can even float in it, in it if you go there. And the difference is the Dead Sea does not have an outflow. My question to you this morning, is there an outflow into your life? If there isn't an outflow into your life, you will find that you will become increasingly stagnant. You'll find that life starts to dry up. When life is all about me, life slowly starts to fade. It's part of how it is. But this morning, what I wanted to talk about, we've been talking about money. And the reason why we've been talking about money is that your heart is directly connected to your wallet. Whatever you invest in, whatever you give to, is what your heart will gravitate to. Now, if I give to myself, my heart will increasingly gravitate to myself. If I give to others, my heart will increasingly gravitate to others. There's a space that what I give to is what my heart starts to value increasingly more and more. Um, My wife and I got married six years ago, and uh, we were going on a missions trip to the Czech Republic, and while we were on our way there, um, I was talking to my sister saying, yep, I'm going to propose to Raquel in Prague. Um, It's going to be awesome. And I opened the ring box, and when I looked inside, we were about two hours away from the plane, going on the plane, and there was no ring in the ring box. And I'm like, "Uh, Mel, I'll call you back. So I close the ring box, and I scour my house, and I cannot find the ring. I go to my office. I cannot find the ring. I come back to my house. I ask the secretary to look. Am I looking everywhere? I cannot find the ring. Finally, I go to, um, I go to the mall, and I say, hey, um, I just lost an engagement ring. Um, I kind of need another one. And they're like, oh, well, when do you leave? I'm like, an hour and a half. So they look it up, and they say, well, you are in luck. That exact ring just came in yesterday. Pull out my wallet, and I'm like, I'll take it. Anyway, go to Prague, propose. Thankfully, she says yes. And, um, and anyway, I, I say all that to say, um, and it, by the way, I got my money back, by the way. I was able to, they were able to find the ring later. It was underneath my bed, so I found where the ring was. But, dude, your treasure is where your heart's at. And are you, what are you willing to invest in? What are you willing to spend? And I, um, I'm pretty thankful for that one back there, that... Maybe, she, maybe I should do that. Every year I should just get her a new ring and she could just have like bling on every finger. It'd be, be really fun. Lots of rings. She wants that? Okay. Who thinks I should buy Raquel a new engagement ring every year? Show of hands. Kate, we're doing it every year. <laughs> Kate Carr says vacation. Yeah, that's, that's smart. Um, go to Luke 16, starting at verse 9. Title of this message is Getting Free from the bondage of mammon. If you're like, I don't even know what mammon is, you'll find out in just a sec. Getting free from the bondage of mammon. Here's the verse. Luke 16, verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth or mammon, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Next slide. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little 
is also dishonest in much. If then you have been not been faithful in unrighteous wealth or mammon, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, who will give you what is which is not your own? Does money rule you or is money a tool in your hands? Let's pray. God, I thank you um, that you give us more than enough for all we need. And I just pray, God, for freedom this morning from the bondage of money. God, that it would be a tool in our hands for the right things, for good things. And everyone said, amen. Um, got three questions for us this morning. And um, the first question is, what is mammon? Now, you might say, well, mammon just means money. And it actually means more than that. The word mammon, this is only in this passage in Luke, this whole thing of mammon. I think it's in one other spot. And actually, there was, back in that day when Jesus said this, there was actually a Syrian um, idol or God called mammon. And mammon was the God of riches. Um, that God, that God of riches, found its root in the people of Babylon, what do we know about the people of Babylon? They built a big tower. Going back. And what does the word Babel mean? Confusion. And that means sown or planted in confusion. That was the whole thing of the tower of Babylon. So when you look at this word mammon, and it's tied to these people that built this big tower that said, we can do anything that we need to. If we put our mind to it, we're going to do it. And then there was confusion that got brought forward. It paints a picture that mammon is tied to the place of man's effort, man's pride, man's sufficiency. The court, the, someone that is trusting in mammon is going to say something like this. If I have riches, I don't need God. If I have um, a little bit more, I don't, I don't need God. I am self-sufficient in what I have and what I need. I, I can think back to different times in my life, and I remember times being angry, uh, fearful, lustful, having doubt in my heart, and there is a temptation in those moments for money to be the thing to fix the problem. Ever been there? You're tired. What do you want to do? Maybe I'll go buy a coffee. Um, your wife's not happy. Maybe we should go on a vacation. Um, there's, there's a struggle, there's a stress, there's a thing, and there's a temptation that we could use money. I don't feel good about myself. Maybe I'll go buy some new things. There's a whole temptation that money will be the answer to my problem. And what's interesting in this passage, too, it says, it says this in Luke 16, um, in verse 13. I don't think we got there, but it says this. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Interesting, huh? It's saying this. You will either be loyal to mammon or you will be loyal to God. There's a popular teaching in, in, in the church today called the prosperity gospel. And it's this kind of this context is if you give, you will get. The problem with that mentality is there is a true principle that if we are generous and if we give, it, it's, it's true. You do gain back. It's shown that every, like people that are generous financially do well. There's, there's some real truth to that. However, if the mentality is give that I might get, it does the opposite of what God's intending to do in my heart. And that is to work selfishness 
self-focus and greed out of my heart. When I give to get, I get a little more selfish and a little more self-focused. Generous people do get blessed. Stingy people do seem to always be lacking. However, it doesn't, it, God wants us to have a life where we have a heart that we would give that we might give. I know of a construction company in Texas. The guy started off by saying, I'm going to give 10% of my income to God. A couple years later, he upped it to 20%. Every year, his business kept growing. Then he made it 30%, 40%. Today, to this day, this guy is giving about 90% of his proceeds of his business away. He's living off 10%, and he's doing very, very well. God will bless the generous. But the reason why he's giving is he has a vision in his life for what he's giving to. You will either be loyal to one and you will then despise the other. The struggle with this, the prosperity message is if something goes wrong in my life, I'm set up to despise God. God, I gave this, I did that, you didn't come through. I, God, I am trying to do this. There's this whole thing because my heart is actually loyal to mammon. It's not loyal to God. And mammon promises us everything that only God can give. It promises us significance. It promises us status. It promises us comfort. And I would even tell you guys this. Mammon isn't just another word for money. Mammon is a spirit. And the reason I say that is just like something like lust or anger or whatever can be a spirit. A spirit is something that attempts to influence our minds through our actions. And you know that you've been influenced by the spirit of mammon whenever you've been given an opportunity to give and you're like, I don't know if I want to. There's a wrestle in our heart and a need for a surrender. And it says here that you will either love the one, love God, or you will love the other. Mammon seeks to rule our heart by promises and fear. But see, guys, only God can give us. Only God can give us the significance we need. Only God can give us the hope we need. I mean, what's really crazy is in the book of Revelation, when everything ends, it says this in in Revelation 13, it says, one day there will be a new world order, and it says that you will not even be able to buy or sell without pledging allegiance to this order, to the Antichrist. Isn't it interesting it wasn't a threat of nuclear war? It wasn't a threat of being killed or whatever. No, it was a threat of buying and selling. That was the thing that was pushed on the people um, to try to get them to be dominated. Your finances are such a massive influencer for your decisions and how you live. Mammon says, if you have a little more money, people will listen to you. You'll have significance. Get the right house, get the right car, have credit cards. If you have more money, you'll have a better marriage. You'll have more money, you could... Help more people. But guys, really, honestly, and I think we've proven this in culture, money doesn't help people. If, we, if money helped people, America would have solved homelessness so long ago. Lighthouse Mission in Seattle, the gospel mission in Seattle, they did a study where they took, um, they tested people on the streets to see the reasons why they were homeless. And they found a few things. One, almost all of them have had incredible trauma in their life. Two, they had different mental things and issues that contributed to that. But one of the number one reasons why they were homeless, they no longer had any relational bridges left anymore. 
If you and I were homeless today, you probably have somebody that you can call and say, hey, can I sleep on your couch? A lot of the people that are homeless today don't have that anymore. Those bridges are burned. They're gone. Relationship with God and with people, that is the pathway to healing and joy in life. Amen? Is that true? And you believe, yeah, you're, okay. <laughs> I actually know of a pastor in this county that hasn't had a salary from his church for the last like eight, nine years. Not once. And in the last five, six years, he's been given five or six, I think six now, different buildings where people said, here, here's a building for your church. They now have like eight different churches all throughout the county. Doesn't get a salary. He ended up years ago, he bought a condo up in Canada and he sold it, I think two, three years ago and made a good amount of money, lived off that. God has been faithful to provide for him and he hasn't been living for trying to live the security life, having everything together. God has provided for him every step of the way. It's not your paycheck you need. It's God's, it's following God's lead that you need. That's what we need. When Jesus is my leader, he promises to provide all of my needs. And he makes it that I can be a blessing to those around me. You know, it's interesting if you look in the Bible and all these people that clamor for Jesus' attention. And there's like, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Help me. Did you know not once did Jesus say, oh, what you need is money. Here, let me write you a check or let me give you a 20 and you'll be okay. It was never money that was the thing that they needed. They needed him. They needed healing. They needed deliverance. They needed something that only God can give. Your paycheck cannot solve what you need. It's only him. The thought about this goes so deep. I believe often we're at like this. That you know that you're in a place where you're struggling in finances or you're almost wanting to serve finances when you, can either, when you say this in your heart. I either need God to come through or I need some money. And if we get the money, we go, okay, I guess I don't need God. I got what I need. But money comes and goes. How many of you know it's really easy to spend money? I'm really good at it. I'm really good at spending money. And typically they find that whenever you make more, let's say you made $300,000 this next year or whatever, you would probably spend it. We're really good at that. Maybe you have really good self-discipline and you would, you would invest it in whatever. But typically as income goes up, so does our standard of living. And instead of one Starbucks a week, I buy seven Starbucks a week. And I keep growing. My, my comfort and my desire keeps growing. Whatever you do with your money today will be what you do with your money tomorrow when you have more. And I have seen this in my life. And I don't know if I'm using it in yours, but often I think we use money like a Band-Aid to touch our hearts, to try to bring a sense of security. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm angry, I'm lonely, whatever. Maybe money will help me if I buy this thing, if I do that thing. Maybe this will do the trick. But it doesn't solve it. It gives you just a short-term alleviation from the discomfort. So here's my question, or here's my statement. Mammon is a spirit that tries to control you and convince you that if you just had a little more, your problems would be solved. Here's the second question. Is money evil? No. Money's a tool. 
and I, I think it's important to recognize that that um, if you look at when we diso- when we don't walk God's way, and I try to live life according to my standards and my plans, and and if I don't ignore his if I ignore his leadership, I find that living that way is expensive. When I don't walk relationally right or I walk whatever, I make decisions that are outside of God's plan. I find that my finances start to go down. I also find that when I make Christ the leader of my life, my finances come in order and I find that I have more than enough for all that I need. Your financial state, God wants to bring you out of the places of debt. I actually, when I was praying over this message this morning, and this week, I actually felt in my heart that there was people that were going to come to church today that you are being crushed by credit card debt. It's crushing you. You don't know what to do about it. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to be the leader of your checkbook. And if you don't know what a checkbook is, it's this little thing with lines and whatever. But God wants to be the leader of your credit cards and your checkbooks. And in that space, he wants to flip it around to make you free. So is money evil? No. And, and some people say, well, doesn't there a verse that says that money is the root of all evil? Here's the verse, 1 Timothy 6.10. It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The love of money causes you pain. Money's a great tool, but it makes a horrible master. What rules you, money or something else? Back in Luke verse 9, 16 9, it says this. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves of unrighteous mammon or wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into an eternal dwelling. Now, when I first read this passage, I thought this. This is what I thought this passage meant. Well, if I, you know, do nice things for people and I give them money, then... Um, Things will go well, and then when I don't have money, they're going to be there for me to care for me when, when, you know, I don't have money. That's what I thought it meant. But then read this. If I look at this translation, I think this is really what it's saying. And I don't think we have that on the screen, but it says this. And I tell you, learn from this. Make friends for yourselves for eternity by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That is, use material resources as a way to further the work of God so that when it runs out, when you die, they, those who come to Jesus because of your investment, will welcome you into eternal dwellings. They will be the welcoming committee when you come to heaven. This passage is saying this. Someday, all of our lives are going to run out but you have resources here and now that you could use to impact lives of people around you. And those people will be then the welcoming committee when you enter into heaven. We have a couple that we've been supporting for the last four or five months, uh, Colby and his wife, who just moved to um, an undisclosed, I can't say it because of the live stream. They're close to a, a nation in the Middle East that if, we, if they knew where they were, they could get in trouble. And they are ministering to people that are um, Iranians and other people, Muslims, and wanting to share Christ with them. Now get this. Bless the City Church is supporting them financially every month. Your funds, as you've been giving to Bless the City, someday, 
as you walk into heaven, there's going to be some Iranian gal saying, hi, nice to meet you. And you're going to be like, who are you? Your church gave and supported to this couple that they would come and share. And I, because of them, I got to know Jesus through them. Thank you for giving. My life is forever changed. What we do here and now impacts people all over the place. And how many of you know that if someone hands you uh, some money or someone blesses you, how much that shows, my goodness, these people care. My, my buddy, um, Matthew Ramirez, he went to a restaurant a while ago, and I think he bought like a milkshake or something. And he thought to himself, you know, this is a $3 milkshake. I'm going to be nice, and I'm going to give this lady a nice tip. So he wa- opens his wallet, and he takes out a $10 bill, and he's just like, you know, puts like $3 in the 10. He's like, I'll give her a $10 bill. And then he's sitting there, and uh, the lady comes up like 10 minutes later with tears running down her face and says, thank you so much. Like, you just changed my life. That was exactly what I needed for my rent to be covered. And he's thinking, like, it wasn't that much. It was like 10 bucks. And then he looked in his wallet again, and he realized that he gave her the $100 bill, not the $10 bill. (laughs) And he's just like, oh, yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) But could you imagine you go to a restaurant, and you give somebody a $50 bill, and you're like, and the whole thing is you're like, you know, this is how much God, God values you. You're important to him. And that they would know that they're valuable, that God has a plan for them, and that, you would, that you'd be there to, to be a friend in their life. That would change their world. What we give, how we live generously shows people that they are valuable. What we do with the unrighteous money, the the simple money we have can be so massive to the people around us. You could spend 500 bucks and buy yourself a knife TV. You could spend 500 bucks and give it away to somebody. Which one do you think will have a more impact on your life and on the lives around you? True riches. Third question is this, what do I do with the money that I have? Well, I, I, I was processing this thought and I realizing for my generation and previous generations, everyone would sit down at their desk and they would have their uh, checkbook out and they would have their bills out and they would take their bills one by one and they would write a check and they put the check over here and they just go through all the stuff and they put a stamp. Anyone know what a stamp is? You put the stamp on a, on a letter and then you mail it and you send it. Well, my generation doesn't do that anymore. We have this thing called auto bill pay. And we might not even know how much money is in our bank account at all right now as it is. And so we're spending money and we're getting money in and we don't even have a sense even where we're at financially. And I I was realizing something that when it comes to my finances and our finances, we need to, you need to, I need to have a vision for where our finances are going. The money that you are receiving, what you're doing, what is the purpose 40, 50 years from now, what will you have in your life, in the lives around you that you could have and say, this is what I did with my finances. What is the vision that you have for your finances? Where is it going beyond I'm going to eat food, I'm not going to be wet outside, and I'm going to have a car? What do you want to see happen with your life through the resources that you are fostering? How is your life contribution and what you are building, how does it matter? 
And I think for a lot of us, we don't have a clear answer for what we're doing with our finances. Here's the question. Where is your life going? When you have grandkids, and maybe some of you do, what will you be able to give to them? When it comes to expanding the work of God around the world, what will you be able to do in 20, 30 years from now that you couldn't do today? Now, we could talk all about health this morning. We could talk about all these things, about the vision of our life. But the bottom line is, do you have a vision financially for your life? Luke 16, verse 10 says this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. You might say to yourself, well, if I had more money, then I would do this, 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 and this. Any of you ever had that, had that thought, like, if I win the lottery, then I'm going to do these things? Well, if I win a lottery, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And God is basically saying, actually, what you do with the finances you have today is what you're going to do with your finances when you have a lot of it. So the question is, what am I doing with what I have right now? If you only have a little and you don't tithe, you won't tithe when you have a lot. If you only have a little and you don't give to those in need, you won't give to those in need when you have a lot. The reality is we all start out with little. And then God sees, can I trust Jeremy Schwader with more? And as I grow in trustworthiness, God's like, okay, I can trust Jeremy with a little more. Will I be faithful to give to God? Will I be faithful to give to others? Those that are faithful are given more. Verse 12 said this, And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who, who will give you that which is your own? Man, there's a lot of applications to this, but I'll give you a couple. First of all, um, there's this thing I've been preaching about the last several weeks about tithing, giving to God our first. If we can't give to God back what is rightfully his, how can God trust us to with more? The second application is I remember I had a boss that I worked for um, when I worked in, a, in another industry. This isn't an industry. I don't know why I said that. When I worked in an industry across town, I was in the healthcare industry, as I was trying to say. And uh, I worked for this, this person that was really nice. And... Um, but man, I, she didn't, they didn't seem like they knew how to do their job very well. And I watched how they treated employees and I watched how they managed their time and I watched how they seemed like they had several addictions and I watched how, um, man, they, they struggled with this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I was so frustrated. And I said, God, I basically said this in my head, God, can you just kind of get rid of them because I, I could probably do a better job than them. Aren't I a nice guy? And God said to me this, Jeremy, I didn't ask you, I didn't ask you to take over. I asked if you could serve her. And I'm like, but she doesn't deserve her job, God. And God's like, you don't deserve your job either. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there was a heart shift for me in that moment. And I found that my strengths and my talents and what I had was what she actually needed. And I think sometimes it's really easy to look across at someone that is failing in an area, maybe legitimately failing in an area, and say, oh, just get them out. Fired. You're fired. Get out. 
But dude, what did Jesus do with you and me? He didn't say get out. He went to Peter who would deny him later and he washed his feet. He went to Judas and broke bread and blessed him. He went to those that would fail him and he served them and said, I pick you. God picks you and he calls us to pick others that might not have their act together either and say, let my strengths lend strength to you. If you cannot be faithful, which is another's, who will trust you that which is your own? Some of you are hoping that you'll have, you know, great success in XYZ area and you find yourself frustrated and chafing maybe under the leadership of others or maybe the lack of leadership of others. And you recognize spaces where they could really grow. And my goodness, if I would just be in charge, this would be way better. But God is saying to you this morning, would you serve? And in the place of serving, you'll find this promotion. I know, I know for sure too, if, if y'all, and I'm sure you guys hear me talk all the time, so I'm sure my weaknesses are all on display. And you're like, man, this Jeremy guy talks too long and his jokes aren't funny and, you know, whatever. Jason Kelly is a way better cartoonist than Jeremy. Um, but I find this, that if we'll come alongside to serve... Though that person, the person you're serving, will, will actually start trusting you and they will start opening doors of opportunity for you to step into what God has for you. If you cannot be faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, bent down and washed the feet of Peter, the prideful, unskillful fisherman who would lead the church. What the heck? He bends down and he serves you. You who also have no business stepping into the purposes that he has for you. But he says, follow me. Follow me. I have a purpose and a plan for you. To follow Jesus is to be one that follows his example, who picks up the cloth, bends down, and serves. God wants to test us in our hearts, in our finances, with how we'll give, and test us in how we'll serve, and see, will you Bless others as I have blessed you. If we're counted faithful, guess what? You will be given more. If you're not counted faithful, we stay right where we are. Verse 11, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with true riches? What's true riches? I like what Steve Mason used to say, time is flying and men are dying. True riches is people. It's the only thing that you can take with you anywhere is people. Use your wealth, use your resources to take people, to bless people, to see that people would be encouraged, that people would know their significance in the heart. Take, take the unrighteous wealth, the money that you have, and bless people. We're called to be a church that would plunder hell. We're called to be a church that would live a life of generosity. I love this whole toy story thing. Toy store thing. Isn't that cool? And we'll have that bin out. How many know these families, what they're doing is they're coming in and they're not just giving the toys away to these families because they found that when they gave the toys, the parents didn't get to give financially to their kids. And so it wasn't as meaningful for them to just give free toys to their kids. So they go in and the toys are discounted like 75% and they buy these toys with their limited income, they're able to buy two toys and they bring them to their kids. And that blesses those parents way more because they know they get to give. 
I know that we get to, when we get to bless families, we get to bless something that's on the heart of God. I use my money to show what I value. Do I value God? Do I value the people that he's given to me? Um, we're going to end the sermon with, with this thought. I, I mentioned earlier credit card debt, and I, I just really felt that in my spirit as I was planning this. And I, 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 my challenge to you today is do you have a vision for the finances in your life? Where is your money going? Ten years from now, what will you show for what you have? The average American, I think, has 2000 or $3,000 in credit card debt, maybe more. And I don't know if they have a plan for where they're going. Um, I put up on the Facebook, the Blessed City Facebook, a financial tool, which is a, um, a, budget, a budgetary tool for everybody. And I, I challenge you, if you don't have a budget for your money, um, I think it's time. But it's not good enough just to save money to say that you got enough money for a rainy day. The point is, what is the point of why you have the money that you have? Where is it going? What are you doing? Um, Jeff Bezos decided to build a clock in Texas. Have you guys heard about this? I think it was Jeff Bezos. And he bought this, built this clock that's called the 10,000-year clock, and it chimes every 100 years. Every 1,000 years, it does a cool little ring, and it's supposed to last at least 10,000 years, this clock. That's what Jeff Bezos is spending his money on. That's his legacy. Absalom in the Bible, he, he built a big mon monument to himself because he said, I do not have any children, so I will build this monument so my name is remembered. Donald Trump wants to do a whole big mausoleum, and the city of New York turned him down because they thought it was too grand and too big. He decided he was going to make this huge statue, I think, of himself and a big family thing and whatever. They didn't let him do it. What will happen in the end of your days with the finances that you have? What will be your legacy in God's eyes, in people's eyes? Is Jesus first. Thanks for listening to the Bless the City Church podcast. For more content, you can find us on Facebook or at blessthecitychurch.com.